Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey folks, what if I told you that the post 9-11 war on terror has caused four and a half million deaths in six countries? Would you stare in disbelief because that number is staggering or would you not believe me because nobody is talking about it? What about the profits by U.S. contractors in the amount of $7.35 trillion in revenue, which is roughly $1.63 million for every person they murdered? Still don't believe me? Well, Jason Basler from the Free Thought Project joined me today and we're going to talk about all of this and the Free Thought Project. Let's go. Jason, how are you doing, my friend? Not too bad, Craig. Thank you for having me on. My apologies for the cancellations, but we're here now and we're doing it. So I'm excited. Yeah, no worries, man. I, I Trust me, we've been doing this for three years and I've talked to a lot of people, you know, heading into to kind of get some advice on it. And, but no, I don't remember anybody telling me that this could turn into a part-time job. And then you've got things come up in, <laughs> in your, in your, in your personal life that kind of can, can conflict with scheduling and stuff. So I, no, I was, I was never upset about you canceling. We were, we were going to lock it down one way or the other. And here we are. Sure. Yeah, you're right, man. This, uh, it can be a bit overwhelming with everything that goes into it. I don't think a lot of people realize like just how much goes into having a podcast uh, especially if you want to do it right, you want to get the, the intro in there and you want to edit it correctly. And I mean, all this stuff, it takes time. It takes energy. So I, I'm right there with you. And uh, yeah, couldn't be any happier to be here with you today. Uh, before uh, we get into the Free Thought Project, is there anything, tell us a little bit about yourself and then um, anything you want folks to know about you and then, then maybe kind of lead into the Free Thought Project, tell folks what that's about. I think a lot of people who listen to us know who the Free Thought Project is. I'm I've been aware of you guys for for quite a while now. Really appreciate the work you're doing. But um, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and the and the project. Sure, brother. Yeah, I appreciate the kind words. So uh, yeah, my name is Jason Bassler. I've been in this world for about oh geez twelve years now. Uh, at least ten of those as an anarchist. Um, and yeah, the, what basically inspired me was the Occupy Wall Street movement, which happened around 2010. Uh, in New York, and then it kind of spread out to a bunch of different cities who all had their own Occupy protests. But backing up even a little bit before that, I grew up in the Bay Area uh, of California. Um, and growing up, you know, I really didn't know much about politics. My family wasn't really interested in politics. I never really talked about it. I just, you know, I didn't really have an understanding. So about the time, uh, I was in high school. I started to kind of hear more. And of course, around that time, there was a heavy narrative about how Republicans were bad. Uh, of course, I was around the same time that we were going into war uh, with Iraq and Afghanistan. And so all I really knew was just Republicans bad. That was it. That was the extent of my political knowledge. <laughs> so when the Occupy Wall Street movement happened and occurred, I realized like, hey, I now have this computer in my hand. And in the age of ignorance, in the age of information, ignorance is a choice, right? So I have this choice now to educate myself. I have all the information right here in front of me. What am I waiting for? So I kind of use that as a catalyst to educate myself. I was like a sponge. I would absorb as much information as I could. 
And you have to remember, this was in the golden age of social media, right? This was before the fact checkers, this was before all the censorship. So we were allowed to put a video up on YouTube and it would stay there regardless of what you were talking about, what controversial topics. And uh, it was actually a wonderful time for self-education. Myself and, and quite a few other people really use that opportunity to kind of hone in our understanding about the polit- about the political world, what was going on in DC, uh, the culture and, and, and you know corporations and cronyism and all this stuff. And uh, so around that time, uh, I also caught wind of uh, the Ron Paul campaign because 2012, I'm sure you're familiar, Ron Paul was running for president. And I had never, you know, as I mentioned, I had never supported a politician before. I'd never voted before. But all of a sudden, I start seeing this guy's name, Ron Paul, everywhere. And when I listen to him speak, everything he's saying makes sense. And I could tell, you know, even though I wasn't really wrapped up in the world of politics, I, I knew that politicians generally tell people what they want to hear and offer them, you know, promises of a better life. Ron Paul wasn't doing that. He was doing the exact opposite. He was actually telling people the hard truths about what they needed to hear in order for us to turn the ship around in the right direction. So automatically, I became a cheerleader basically overnight for Ron Paul. And uh, just as far as his politics were concerned, I didn't really know much about him, his own ideology, his philosophy and stuff. But over the course of time, I started to learn that as well. And uh, there's that old joke, you know, like, what's the difference between an anarchist and a libertarian? It's about six months, right? I mean, if you're doing all the research, if you're learning all the information and you're trying to be logically and intellectually consistent and morally consistent, I should probably add, then you're going to eventually evolve to be an anarchist. So uh, around 2011, 2012, I realized I was an anarchist. I realized that even though I was out on the streets doing things like banner hangs for Ron Paul, I even attended a few protests. I kind of realized that standing on the street corner with a sign really wasn't that effective. It could maybe reach you know, a couple thousand people who happened to be driving by within the hour or so. But I realized and my fascination and my desire was to actually be more of an internet activist in the sense that I could provide information, counterintuitive information to people to kind of plant seeds to get them to question their own beliefs, to question their own ideology. And uh, that basically was the beginning of the Free Thought Project. So uh, I, I created a Tumblr page, a Facebook account, a Twitter account, and just started sharing. And immediately I started seeing some success. Uh, around that same time, around 2012, I also created Police the Police. Not sure if you're familiar with it or not, Craig, but I am the founder of Police the Police as well. Uh, and so uh, police accountability has always been something I've been very passionate about, especially during the Occupy Wall Street movement with these heavy-handed cops, you know, literally throwing around protesters, brutalizing them, abusing them. And it pissed me off. It pissed me off. I knew I had to do something. It lit a fire inside. It made my blood boil. So I had to do something. I didn't know what that was, but I knew I had to do something. And so I stepped up to the plate, started sharing all this information, and uh, the year later, 2013, is when I got introduced to my now business partner and editor-in-chief of the Free Thought Project, uh, Matt Agarist. And Matt and myself hit it off instantly. He had these skills with writing articles, had these skills with building social media, building pages, creating a following, also with uh, video editing, photo editing, stuff like that. So we made a perfect team. And uh, within the first year, that we were on the scene with by 2014, uh, we we're in 
within the top 250 websites in the country. So that's, yeah, it's no easy feat. Uh, We were reaching tons of people. And again, you got to remember this was the social media golden age. So the algorithms on Facebook were, uh, they were kind. They were, they were giving us all types of reach because Facebook in turn was also trying to grow their platform. So it made sense for them to give pages large amounts of reach. So at that time, you know, between 2014 and 2018, we were growing like crazy. We had established nearly 6 million fans uh, across our network of different pages and accounts, uh, 3.1 million for the Free Thought Project, 1.9 for the Police the Police accounts. And uh, we were rolling, man. We had seven writers. We had three social media team members. And then the Empire strike back, struck back, of course, you know, it, it doesn't when a good thing is happening like this and you're starting to challenge the, the status quo and the establishment, they're not going to let it go on for too long. So in October of 2018, both Facebook and Twitter removed our pages and accounts, resulting in a loss of nearly 6 million fans uh, within a couple hours of each other. So I woke up that morning, I was checking the news, and all of a sudden I see LA Times talking about how Facebook had purged roughly 800 pages and accounts. And I was like, huh, that's strange. Went to Facebook. Holy shit, my pages are gone. So that basically was a huge trajectory, a huge life trajectory changer. Uh, we had to immediately within the next couple of days fire our entire team, all seven writers, three, three social media team members, because we no longer had any reach for getting the ad revenue we had to continue paying these guys. So uh, as you can imagine, Craig, it was uh, pretty disheartening. It was, it was definitely a blow. Uh, so since then, we've been more or less trying to kind of rebuild our organization. Obviously, um, the golden age is gone. It's long past, you know, but we're, we're still giving it our all. There's not really much of a chance we're ever going <laughs> to reach a million fans again. And I'll also mention before I wrap this up here that this market of information exchange has gotten so saturated between the MAGA movement, the medical freedom movement uh, that happened during COVID, that it's become difficult. It's become challenging to actually get your your name, your face, your story, your information, your content out there again. Uh, in, in some ways, it's a double-edged sword, right? That's what we want. We want more people out there talking about these things, talking about the truth. Uh, but at the same time, for somebody like myself, who is, was at one point established in this world, it's been difficult. It's been very challenging. And to be deplatformed and have your business taken down by some of the biggest corporations in the world, you know, I don't know how many people could actually say that's happened to them, but uh, it's happened to me. I, I certainly couldn't. And, 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 but I want to give you a little bit of, of encouragement, though. I'm, 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 I'm glad that you stuck with it and you're back doing it because, I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of work y'all put into it. And then you, and then, all, then one day, I mean, with the, push of a button, they, they wiped y'all out, you know, and I can see how we use the word disheartening that I, I was thinking deflating because, you know, it would have been the, the just, we've got a, de- a, a small platform with a bad Roman. We have nowhere near 6 million <laughs> viewers and we may never get that far. But what I, what I've noticed in the value of people who do appreciate what we do, that they're, that, that they're sharing it. We've grown over time because people are sharing it, not because of, uh, Social media, social media. You know, I was going to talk. You, you were talking about police and police. Facebook's had our Facebook page on shadow ban for so long now that it's almost like it doesn't exist. Every once in a while, we'll get some traction, but 
not like we used to. Used to it was work. It was working really well. We've got well, I don't know four thousand followers just on the Facebook page. But anyway, like standing on the corner with a sign, you know, promoting a politician is all well and good if you want to be in, involved with that stuff, you know. For and I'm talking to folks out there. But I, I've always told people, if you've got some sort of podcast platform or some kind of website, a blog or anything, you're going to be more effective with that than you are standing on the on the corner with a, with a politician, promoting a politician. I mean, it's just at the end of the day, because people want to sit down and listen to different opinions on what's going on out there. You know, they don't not because not everybody's going to agree with Ron Paul. Not everybody's going to agree with whoever. You know what I'm saying? So it's I just I find more I, I get frustrated with um podcasters that want to get involved with political entanglement again who are calling themselves anarchists and i'm like you've already got a platform though you've got an audience and that audience is going to be the one sharing your stuff with other people that's how you're going to grow that's how i've seen our project grow just by the listeners sharing the stuff and that's i appreciate them so much i was talking to a uh I got an email from a guy the other day, and I guess it's a they, they go around doing this with their podcast. They want to pitch you a, an idea about having you know getting some video and stuff out there on TikTok and YouTube and all this other stuff. And he said the problem you're having with with ad revenue for your show is you're contrarian because a lot of people don't want to advertise on a contrarian type podcast. And I said, well, I can't change that because at the end of the day, I I would rather, rather be remembered for sticking to my principles than to give in to a dollar or try to make a dollar. I'd rather do, I'd rather pay for this myself, stick to my principles, because I've seen that a lot too with, with other projects too, that once they start trying to make it a thing to make a living, some, I'm not saying everybody does, but they seemed, and I told this guy that, it seems like they lose their principles, they back off of what they originally started doing, and now you don't know where the hell they're going. I stopped listening to podcasts because of that. There were podcasts, I used to, when I started transitioning into all this stuff, there were podcasts I listened to faithfully. And the longer I started was listening, I noted this, the narrative was going way away from what we where we started, <laughs> you know. And I and I, I have a problem with with lack of consistency. Right? If I see that, I'll move on to something else. And I don't know if you're the same as I am when it comes to that. But there were a lot of podcasts I used to listen to that I no longer listen to. Yeah, 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 absolutely, man. Well, I, I appreciate the kind words. Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of one of those kind of people who. Uh, doesn't give up easy, you know, and also I didn't want to let big tech win. You know, I, I couldn't uh, admit defeat. And I think there's a Bruce Lee quote is like, you know, you're never defeated until you actually acknowledge that you've given up. Right. So yeah, I'm not going to let them win. And even if I'm only putting out one post a month, it's still never going to be completely over. Like I'm still, I'm always going to be in this world. I always have at least one foot in this world, but my, I would really love to continue doing a full time. And I, I think it's possible. I know there's a lot of people who are transitioning from content, uh, creating content about information and sharing information to more solutions based uh, content, which you could actually, you know, charge for because there's a demand there. And trust me, I I know it sounds crazy saying that because I think we've been programmed to believe that, you know, we should be doing this for free, we should be altruistic, Uh, the cause is just that important. And, And it is to a certain extent. But I've also put in my time, you know, I've been in this world for 10 years now, putting out free content. So I, I think it is time to pivot a little bit and start helping people out and uh, also being compensated for it at the same time. And I've noticed a lot of other people are doing that too. You know, a lot of other... I, I'm completely okay with that. I'm not opposed to that one, one at all. Like, I mean, all I want for this project is be, become sustainable sustainable on its own. So sure. what I mean by that is when we started, I was adamant about any kind of profit that we had was I was going to give to charity because I, I was a 
maybe it's just me worried about how I would act if I was, if a whole bunch of money started pouring in to, to the project, you know. So it was easy. so that's why I said any profit will go to charity because to me, and I'll just keep working. But if it'll pay for itself, it'll pay for my producer or anybody else that I have along the way. That's that's all I really care about. And then it, it, we're, we are exploring some ideas right now. I mentioned to you before we started uh, recording about doing some video and stuff and, and putting it on TikTok and YouTube and stuff because people want to see it. Yeah, video is huge. Yeah, and I, it's I'm not that guy. I mean, I can't sit I can't sit and watch a YouTube video unless I'm at the gym and doing some cardio and I can sit there and watch the Rogan podcast, sure. you know, cause I can see it and it, it keeps me distracted from dying on the trip <laughs> on the elliptical <laughs> from my, my current pain. But anyway, yeah, I want to encourage you again. I, I'm really appreciative that you stuck with it. Cause like I said, that could be deflating and I could imagine, I don't think I would have gave up. It had been a struggle trying to get started back. And thankfully y'all were big enough that people were like, well, where'd these folks go? We'll find them. Right. This is another thing I always say too. Once we're dead and gone, the stuff we put out there is still out there. Yes. And so folks along the way are going to find this stuff. Yes. Like, oh, these, like the things you were hearing Ron Paul say was making sense to you. Well, people are going to find the Free Thought Project years down the road. Like they're making sense because what we're seeing in, the, in, in Washington, D.C. or even our own state capital is not making sense to us anymore. And they want to know this stuff. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And there's something else magical about the internet too, which is we don't really have a way to quantify how many people that we actually affect with our words, how many people actually think on these things that that we say, these topics we speak about and sit on them and, and internalize them. You know, and I feel like that's something that probably happens way more than we realize. And I, I feel like that's probably one of the white pills that keeps me going. And uh, good for you, Craig, too, you know, for not... Uh, bending a knee, I guess, to the dollar, you know, and I, I think that's so important. Obviously, you know, you touched on it for the principle, the, the fact of just being principled and that alone, you know, deserves an applause. But I think that people could sense when you start to cater to their biases, you know, and one thing that builds trust is authenticity repeated. So if you're authentic over and over again, people are going to eventually come to trust you. You know, so I think it's it's important. And unfortunately, there's been a lot of people who I've seen some of the people that were my idols when I first got into this. I won't name any names, but they've gotten to the point where the only thing that mattered was success and they were able to bend their values and principles a little bit. So Donald Trump comes in. Hey, like, look, at there's this huge wave of MAGA supporters. Well, maybe there's a few things with Donald Trump that aren't so bad. And I'm not saying Trump like he's kind of a anomaly in himself, right? Because he was this outsider. This, he's not really a globalist. So I can't badmouth him as much as maybe say like Biden or Obama or something like that. But even still, if you're bending your principles to adhere to a certain confirmation bias, yeah, you might initially get a, a, a large following or something. And maybe some of those people will resonate with what you say, but all the people who used to follow you, you know, like they're going to be skeptical. They're going to re- recognize that you've shifted, you've changed, you've pivoted in your stance and your position. And I, I, I would suggest that some people lose respect when people do that, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it's one thing, and this is not me to pat myself on the back, but it's one thing that I've noticed is in the private messages I get, because like if I get in some sort of debate on social media with somebody about something and I can, you can, you can always tell, and I'm sure you can, but you can tell very quickly whether it's going to be a productive conversation or not. (laughs) Sure. You know? And so what I end up realizing, and I've mentioned this more than once that 
I'm not actually talking to this person anymore because I received messages from people wanting to know more about what I was talking about. They don't, they've heard all the same garbage this one person was saying. Now they're hearing a different perspective that kind of makes sense and they want to know more about it, but they don't know how to ask the right question, you know? Right. You know, how to get, to, they don't, under, they don't know how to get to where, they went to, to where they can understand it. And I had somebody else, so I'm going to tell you this too, and then we can move on to the article, but somebody told me on the show one time, he said, just keep being real because there's not a lot of real out there. And I would encourage you to do the same thing, you know, with, with the free thought project and y'all are doing it. And I, like I said, I appreciate the work that you guys are, are doing out there. It's, it's, it's been a lot, it's been real helpful for a lot of us. You know, you mentioned police, the police. I remember reading some of that stuff very early on because that was one of the last things for me to let go of was the police, you know? Sure. You know, and then we saw George Floyd get murdered right before our eyes. And I was like, this something ain't right here. I don't know if I can support this or just, you know, blindly support backing the blue type stuff because this is not right. Sure. The longer that then when COVID hit, you saw how police officers were enforcing these illegal mandates and shutting people's businesses down. And and, and I I was like, I can't support them anymore. That was it for me. The COVID thing broke me when it came to the police department. I just I just can't do it anymore. I don't trust them at all. Good on you for detecting that spidey sense and recognizing that internal red flag, man. You know, that's so important. I feel like most people are just so indoctrinated that they just ignore it. They're just like, well, you know, we need police. And here's the thing. A lot of people, you know, I already just alluded to it, but a lot of people believe that, well, you know, we have this group of people called police and sometimes they do bad things, but Without them, society would turn into chaos. And, you know, <laughs> but the, the fact of the matter is what we see now and the problem with law enforcement that causes such conflict in society is the fact that it's a monopoly. It's a claim monopoly on uh, the initiation of violence, more or less, the legal use of violence. You know, under that context, things make a lot more sense. You know, we're told in our schooling, you know, that monopolies are bad. They tell us, you know, electricity monopolies are bad, gas monopolies are bad, but wait, what about government monopolies? So what I talk about, and we don't have to get too far into this, but there is a solution out there and it's called decentralizing. It's decentralizing certain types of products or services in society that the market could provide for us peacefully and with more efficiency, more effectiveness, and a whole lot less violence. Right. You know, and it's and it, like I said, it was one of the last things for me to let go of. And, and, and that I encounter that more than anything when, when folks are trying to understand what we talk about is the police yeah. side of it, because they do believe that if there were no cops out there, it'd be anarchy. And I'm, you know, I'm using air quotes, you know, because <laughs> we don't understand anarchy the way other people understand anarchy. But I, sure. that's, I get it. I mean, you know, even talking to my mom, she goes. She goes, I understand what y'all are saying. She goes, but I can't call myself an anarchist because I don't think I hate the cops like you guys do. And I said, we don't hate them. Yeah. We just think they are bad actors yeah. <laughs> enforcing bad laws. And I'm not saying, you know, depending on what your vision of a voluntary society would look like. And I'm just, I'm talking to you, not my mom, but just <laughs> depending on <laughs> what the, you think that would look like, we're, some will still have a security force. I mean, yeah. Yes. You know, and it's it's not not saying it would go away. The difference would be is they would be beholden to the citizens and not to some crooked politician hiding behind the badge and a gun, the guy, the guy wearing a badge and, and holding a gun. Sure. Yeah. And we actually have a perfect example of what it could look like in Detroit. I don't know if you're familiar with Dale Brown and his threat management center. I think I think I'm 
vaguely familiar with it actually yeah he's been on quite a few he's made the rounds you know i don't think he considers himself a libertarian in fact if anything he's probably a little more left-leaning with some of his uh theories and takes on like racial justice and stuff like that but he has magically created this this business that's basically a shining light for what we propose within privatizing uh, protection and security services. So Dale Brown has been in business for over 25 years in you know, Detroit, which isn't the best city. <laughs> and uh, he, he offers services over to 500 businesses and residential uh, homes. And he uh, has never, neither himself, his employees, or any of his customers ever been hurt, killed, or arrested. So he has this whole technique where he knows how to de-escalate situations. Uh, he knows how to manage threats, as the name Threat Management Center alludes to. And uh, he's a complete professional, 180% difference between law enforcement we, that we have now, who are oftentimes short-tempered, egomaniacs who enforce their own version of the law. This guy goes into situations knowing how to de-escalate how to you know calm people down, and then if need be, if things do turn physical, he has a bunch of nonviolent ways to apprehend uh, a suspect or uh, somebody who's trying to attack him, you know, or something like that. So um, yeah, he's a light in the darkness as far as I'm concerned. And anybody who's interested in hearing more about this, definitely Google or YouTube Dale Brown Threat Management Center because he's doing great work over there. I wonder if I could get him on the show. I'd like to talk. Yeah, you probably could. Because I've talked to, I've had a, a, a former St. Louis police officer on the show. And basically I heard him on the Torrid Anarchy podcast. And he basically, he was talking about the corruption inside the police department. That's a big police department. And I want to talk about to cops like that. And then I had a, a sheriff out of Arizona reach out to me. I spoke with him. You may have heard of him. He's been on the Tom Woods podcast, I believe. But he, uh, he, he handles things different. Like the governor was wanting to send the national guard down there to, to guard the border. And he said, no, we're a peaceful uh, County. We don't need any of that down there. Like he refused any of that. And nice. By law, they can't, they can't send troops in there without the sheriff's to, you know, permission. And he, he considers himself an anarchist, but he also says, you know, I know that sounds a little strange to me being a sheriff and <laughs> calling myself an anarchist. So I let people figure that stuff out on, out on their own, you know, along the way. But, I, I do. I do like to be able to talk to folks. Like I like to talk to former, uh, or talk to veterans on the show too, who experienced war and understand. You know, we're going to talk about some of the stuff here, here in a minute. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask you something about uh, the the author of this article. Is he does he work for the Free Thought Project? I noticed the name. It's uh, authored by Brett Wilkins via Common Common Dreams. Yeah. So they probably aggregated it. I'm assuming. Uh, the initial we're talking about the uh, the tweet that I made. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you, it was the study that y'all went over to from the tweet. Um, yeah, yeah. To clarify, yeah, that was um, probably aggregated by a few different organizations. Matt covered it, um, so he didn't actually write the report, but he covered the important parts of what you know, he thought was significant for our audience. And that was the article that I sent you. Okay. That makes sense. I just, I, cause I saw a free thought project underneath there. Anyway, it's neither here nor there. I was just curious about the guy, if he worked for you guys or that's somebody different, but you mentioned the tweet and this is what, this is what got me to reach out to you because I saw this tweet being shared quite a bit through, on Facebook and from, from friends of mine and from folks who, who follow the project and stuff. And, and it was, I, this is from Twitter. It says a new study claims the post 9-11 war on terror caused at least four and a half million deaths in six countries. And I mentioned this in the in the uh, 
opener. At the end of this, you said, now you know why war is our top export. Yes. And I don't think people take, think about that. I don't think people, your average, what we call them normie, but your average person doesn't think along those lines about that being our largest export. The money that is made with the military industrial complex is, is wild to me. Sure. Is wild to me. But I mean, because they talk about not being able to take care of the poor, but with the, with the stolen funds are taken from us anyway. At least if you're going to do it, take care of those folks that are hungry. But instead of going and killing people across the world, and nobody talks about it, and I, and I don't. It's it's the problem is you can't rely on corporate media to do this. You got to go to the Free Thought Project to hear about this stuff. I don't have a problem going to the Free Thought Project. But the vast majority of people don't know who the Free Thought Project is. They know who Fox News is and CNN is. And neither one of those two are talking about this stuff. And if they do, it's like a five-second thing. And everybody goes on to their, the rest of their day and forgets about it. And I think it's important for people to hear these numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now you know why they censor us so much, right? And, <laughs> and in fact, uh, a couple months before uh, we were actually taken down in 2018, uh, Facebook had announced that they partnered with the Atlantic Council, which is basically uh, a NATO front group, a NATO think tank uh, that whitewashes war propaganda. And they're funded by Big Pharma, uh, HSBC Group, uh, a bunch of U.S. Army, a bunch of different actors. So these are the people that Facebook was getting policy direction from, and they were helping moderate content. So I mean, you know, if you want to call ourselves a conspiracy theorist, there is probably some uh, connection there, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. And it's disheartening how normalized war has become. And God, you know, we're, we're old enough, Craig, to at least know a few gaps in between the decades where there wasn't an actual active war going on. But I fear that today's generations are going to grow up knowing nothing but endless war, Right. So that part of it scares me. And of course, uh, the, the right, the Republicans are so eager to continue this military spending. And uh, they perceive it as being something that makes the country strong, uh, provides defensive you know, mechanisms to uh, ensure safeguard our liberty. But we all know that's bullshit. We all know that's just not the fact of the matter. We, that's not the truth. If anything, these, you know, the, these companies, the military industrial complex, these defense companies, they're, they're, they're making so much money, man. It's hand over fist and it's basically money laundering at this point. So yeah, exactly. You know, our war is our top export. There has to be some, some display of where the money's going. Right. So now, instead of, you know, fighting these wars because the American public has made it clear that we're tired of it, most of us anyway, those people who are paying attention, now we're funding a proxy war in Ukraine, you know, and according to my calculations and somehow magically, you can't really find this number anywhere on the Internet, but try to do a Google search and find out how many billions of dollars have been sent to Ukraine. It's nearly impossible. Nobody really knows. Everybody's about a month behind the newest news releases. According to my research, it's about one hundred and thirty one billion dollars. And that's what they've allocated. I don't know how much they've actually sent because these things kind of get lost in translation, unfortunately. Now, most of the establishment is, is at least admitting to being over $100 billion. Uh, but I, I keep close eye on these things. I, in fact, I have, you know, I have little markers on, on different tabs. So I get alerts uh, when you know, there is a new publication about billions of dollars more being sent to Ukraine. 
And the thing is, nobody's questioning it. Nobody's asking where this money is going. And last year, uh, I think it was around last March or so, I think it was about a, a year, a month or two after the Ukraine-Russia conflict kicked off, there was a report out of CNN talking to a White House official who actually admitted that there's no way to track where the money goes after it's sent to Ukraine. It, the, the guy literally said, this White House official literally said, it just enters a big black hole. We don't know where it ends up. And so then we start seeing U.S. javelins on the dark market or on the black market and the dark web, you know, and, and uh, not too long ago, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, we saw AT4 uh, rocket launcher that showed up in Mexico with one of the drug cartels. And, uh, you know, only 6,000 of those ATF4s were sent to Ukraine by the U.S., so who knows, you know, maybe 5,999 of them ended up in Ukraine and just that one magically, you know, was sent to, to the cartels in Mexico or or maybe, you know, it does enter a big black hole and these things are being traded on the dark, the dark web, you know. So it's, it's highly irresponsible. This has been going on for years when, you know, the U.S. was funding these rebel groups who turned into our our worst enemies like Al Qaeda this has been going on forever. And unfortunately the American public is sleepwalking, you know, into one war to another. Nobody's really paying attention. And the people that are basically just accepted it. So we're, we're in this really bad situation where war has become normalized billions of dollars of our tax dollars. Well, even that's debatable because some of this money is probably printed up by the federal reserve and the federal reserve is just another uh, way that we're able to fund these endless wars. So now we're funding a proxy war. Uh, most people have no clue how much money is going over there. The weapons that we've been sending to Ukraine are ending up in terrorist groups. It's a shit show, man. I don't know if I'm able to swear. I apologize, but no, it's no. I've, listen, I do it all the time. Man. <laughs> I'm sorry, you get a little fired up sometimes. It's oh no, I, trust me, I totally understand that. Let me ask you something though, Scooby. When you said that they don't have any idea, where, they don't know where some of this money's going. Didn't recently they come out and say that they've lost $6 billion somewhere along the way? And then didn't that happen back with Rumsfeld as well? Yeah. yeah they just yeah. lose money. And I'm thinking, man, in these times, you know, we're the, I guess I'm assuming you're the middle class, but it, we're, we're struggling right now because everything's so damn expensive at the grocery store. I'd be upset if I lost a $20 bill. <laughs> but these people lose $6 billion? And like, eh, whatever, you know, it's like there's there, and nobody holds them accountable for it. That's the biggest thing. They're just going to steal more money and lose it and give it to terrorist organizations. I mean, this has been going on. Man, I don't know. I started. I remember the, when 9-11 happened and I remember the first four years of it. I was so I was staunch, you know, supporting everything we were doing and all this stuff. Then I remember in that second somewhere along the way in that second term of George W. Bush, I was thinking about this the other day because you mentioned a while ago that people growing up right now don't know anything but living in, in war, being a part of something that is involved in war. But I remember somewhere along the way in Bush's second term, I was like, I felt exhausted. Like I spent so much energy trying to defend our, our policies on going fighting everybody we can across the world, this war on terror. And then somewhere along the way, I was like, I'm tired. Yeah. I don't, I, it's not that I don't support our troops because I was still in that mindset then. It's just, I'm tired of war. Sure. But if you, if you, if you're born post 9 11 and this is all you know, maybe you don't ever get exhausted. Maybe you don't ever get tired of it because you're just used to it. It's just part of your, your normal everyday life. And you hear about it somewhere along the way, you know, on the news or whatever, but it's just, you haven't known anything different. 
So I don't know if a person that's growing up in this can be become exhausted. But, I, you know, but then I've noticed a lot of the younger folks, too, man. It seems like they they recognize that there's something going on. Yeah, I, I, I don't I have a little faith in the younger generation. Me, too. Because I see the stuff that they're saying that, you know, the old hats, the old folks that are we call them the boomers and stuff. They're still dug into their whatever they believe. But the, the young and I'm not saying the younger generation is going to do the right thing and just become anarchists and, and tell the state to get bent. But at least they're at least asking some good questions. Sure. And they're not supporting some of this garbage that we that we see going on, you know. But and sorry, that was my ramble because I've I have a lot of things going through my head when I'm interviewing somebody, and then I start thinking about, like I said, you know, becoming exhausted during the Bush, uh, yeah, time in, in the White House. Well, you, you got to remember, man, they're hitting us from all angles, right? Like they literally indoctrinate indoctrinate you from the earliest age of five years old. You're, you're meant to believe that government is here. Government is our, you know, the way that we handle any type of civil conflict. Government is basically the the end all be all of human civilization, you know? And so with that mentality, when they tell you that, well, we have to take out, you know, we have to go into Iraq and get rid of the weapons of mass destruction, you're inclined to believe it. But then it, once you start to learn more, you start to see the writing on the wall and you zoom out and you start to realize these are nothing but front stories for the military industrial complex to continue bringing in billions, sometimes trillions, as the article you know we're going to get into here mentioned, $7.5 trillion. I mean, that's serious money. You know, that's intergenerational money. So yeah, there's there's a problem there with public schools. And I'm right there with you though, Craig, and sometimes I get some pushback on this because I do believe that the younger generations can see through a lot of this propaganda. I, I think that they're smart enough. They're intuitive enough. But then you also see like the trans movement and the culture wars and you see a lot of them kind of feeding into that. And it kind of makes you wonder, but I honestly do believe that the boomer generation was probably the most heavily propagandized generation in existence. They never had the internet. They had no other way of finding new sources of information. You know, there was one talking box, whether it be the radio or the TV in the home, and everybody had one, you know? And so unfortunately, they've they've got it the worst. And so I think a lot of the same policies that are, we're still clinging onto as a nation are because the boomers still vote. The boomers are still somewhat in control of policy as far as the influence goes with politicians. But uh, yeah, I, I have hope. I have a strong hope that the, the new generations, Gen Z, can see through some of this stuff. And just the internet alone is going to be the game changer, right? Because as you said, we're putting out this information. Other people are putting out this information. And the age of, it, age of information, ignorance is a choice. And I think a lot of people realize how easy it is to access this information, or at least the Gen Z, the Gen Z generation does. I completely agree. And I try to give some of the boomers some grace too along the way too, because you're right. They didn't have the same, they didn't have the same access to information like we do right now. And so, but at the same time, whenever I do point out some of this stuff to them, especially like your hardcore Trump supporters and or just dug in the, dug in the uh, ground Republicans, you know, like I used to be, you know, so when I say, mention to them stuff like we're talking about right now, their eyes glaze over. Yeah, because they didn't hear this from Fox News. They didn't hear this from CNN, you know, or wherever they're they're hearing it from a small time podcaster named Craig Hargis. You know, that's where they're hearing it from. So I try to give them a little bit, little bit of grace. But I'm like, the information's there. If you if you can pick up your phone and go to TikTok and, and YouTube and watch videos, you can search the Internet. 
for some of this information. You can go check out the Free Thought Project. They've got all this stuff that you can read. It's the same way when I direct them to go to to uh, read or listen to Scott Horton or some of the stuff they're writing over there at antiwar.com. Go do that because they've got the information. I got an argument with a guy at work the other day because he's like, that's not happening in Yemen. I'm like, I'm fixing to send you some stuff. If you'll take the time to read it, right, it's right there. Sure, But you have to put in the work to go read it. I'm not going to read it to you. <laughs> so this is not story time at work. But that's that's kind of where we're at, unfortunately. you know. And I think, again, not to harp on the boomers too much is because they've been in they've been instilled with this idea of there needs to be an authority who gives us this top-down direction. And without it, well, who are you? You're just some guy. But it's like, well, no, that's not how truth works. You know, like truth is, it's something tangible, something objective, you know? And so it doesn't matter who's the one saying it. It could be anybody. Truth is truth. If it's logically feasible, if it's, you know, morally, well, I guess morals don't really have anything to do with it. But if it's intellectually consistent, logically consistent, it doesn't matter who's saying it, you know? So and just real quick too, I do want to put in a caveat, like with the boomers, like, of course, we had just won World War II. So I think there was a little bit more reason to support nationalism and, and be a little bit more in that mindset. And so, you know, again, as you said, giving them grace, I get that. Like World War II is this huge transitional period for the world, you know? So, and uh, we, there's mixed theories on this, but, you know, we, we took out the Nazis, we helped end, you know, quote, fascism and this, this level of uh, genocide that was going on. So, that should be something that we're proud of. That should be something that, you know, we actually can stand on as like a foundation for our country, you know? And so I understand why the boomers do kind of hang on to some of that nationalism as well. All right. So we've already gone over the numbers, the, the amount of money that's been spent on these wars since I guess the start of, of 9-11 or start of the, the war on terror, I should say. But I want to talk about something, too. And it's at the very beginning of the article that you know, people, if you have not read this, it's called A Modern Genocide. America's post 9-11 war on terror killed over four and a half million people. It's a study by the Free Thought Project. Uh, we searched it on their website and you can uh, it's from May 20th, 20th, 2023. But this is something that I don't think is talked about enough either is the the casualties the amount of people that have died and the indirect deaths. This is something that we try to explain to folks, like when we talk to them about Yemen or any of these any of these wars. It's the indirect deaths. It's the it's the it's the children dying of starvation and malnutrition and diseases and stuff because they can't get clean drinking water. They can't get to a hospital because their hospitals are being blown up by some big government somewhere. You know, you know, there's it's. That that number is staggering too because it's put the deaths over four and a half million people. That's a lot of people that had didn't want anything to do with any of what's going on. Basically, getting caught in the crossfire between two warring gangs, if you will, you know, right? Uh, basically, <laughs> I mean that's what it is. You know, every country on earth is is basically a gang with a flag. You know, and uh, Alex Jones was right when he said we live on a prison planet, you know, and I, I hate to frame it like that because it's a beautiful world we live in. But ultimately, there is nowhere to go. You know, people say, well, if you don't like it, leave. Oh, yeah. Where am I going to go? I can't go anywhere. Every country is owned by a gang and they all claim a, a right authority over you. So but yeah, to get back to what we we're talking about here, you know, the, the situation is so bad in these places that the question that's being considered by professionals in an area like Afghanistan is how many of these deaths can be considered unrelated to war, you know, and it's, it doesn't really seem like there's a lot of them. 
the publication that we we aggregated, or I guess Matt wrote the story for, but it was originally from a study by uh, the Cost of War Project at Brown University's Watson Institute for International and Public Affairs, which is a bit of a mouthful. But uh, they claim that, yeah, 3.6 to 3.7 million indirect deaths in post-9-11 war zones, uh, while the death toll in the war zones are at least 4 to 5 to 4 to 6 million, 4.6 million and counting. Uh, they don't really have a way to know the exact uh, mortality figures. You know, these are estimates that are put together by professionals uh, and journalists and a group of different people. One thing about the study, though, it it actually said that the U.S. federal government spent over $8 trillion on these wars, which aligns with that other article that I referenced in my tweet. So, yeah, and, you know, that that's what is it like? five or six different countries like Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, Syria, Yemen. There's 7.6 million children that are suffering from wasting. Uh, and wasting is basically when a child is too thin for their age. And the result, it basically results in rapid weight loss. Uh, and they have a hard time gaining weight back. It's not a death sentence. It can be cured uh, medic- medically, but a lot of times that's not what's it's not what's happening here, you know. And according to the report, um the large majority of these indirect war deaths occur as you said due to malnutrition, uh pregnancy, birth-related problems, and illnesses including infectious diseases. I found some some stats that were kind of mind-blowing. Uh one study from 2012 found that more than half of the baby babies born in the uh, city of Fallujah in Iraq uh, between the years 2007 and 2010, so only three years, had birth defects, half of the babies. I mean, that's insane. And uh, among the pregnant women surveyed in the study, more than 45% experienced miscarriages in the two years that followed the 2004 invasion uh, of Fallujah. And, you know, that's that's just part of the equation. Another part of the equation, too, is the chemical warfare that was used by the U.S. Uh, during the invasion of Iraq, the Geiger counter readings of depleted uranium in Iraqi urban areas has shown radiation levels that are about 2000 times higher than normal. A lot of people associate that to the depleted uranium that was used in the first few weeks of the conflict in Iraq in 2003 where the U.S. military dumped more than 2,000 tons of this radioactive waste onto the Iraqi people. And uh, that was just this most recent war. That also happened in the 90s war as well. The U.S. also used depleted uranium as well. It's estimated that they dropped tens of thousands of tons on the Iraqi people, which is insane. And it's heartbreaking. Absolutely. It's absolutely heartbreaking to me. And it's Going back to the just the numbers you said, and you were, I was reading along with you, but it says it um, have led to an estimated three to three point six to three point seven million indirect deaths, and then while the total death toll is about four point six million, so over half of the the people that are dying in these wars had nothing to do with the war. I mean, it, and you're talking about non-combatant people. You're talking about five year olds. You're talking about mothers. You're talking about daughters. You're talking about husbands. You're talking. I mean, there's children. I mean, if people just really sit and thought about that, they'd be like, why would you support somebody who's going to continue to do this? I mean, they say all the nice things. You know, didn't Trump run on anti-war ticket? Didn't Obama run on anti-war ticket? 
well, Trump didn't start any new wars. I heard, I heard that so many times. I said, but he sure didn't end any either. He escalated several. Yeah, the civilian death rates uh, increased 335%. I believe it was in Libya. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, exactly. And, you know, he dropped the the mother of all bombs, one of the biggest bombs that was dropped during the Afghanistan war. I mean, there was a bunch of things that certainly do not make uh, Trump, you know, anti-war. In fact, you know, he used uh, Julian Assange for his, you know, and WikiLeaks for his election, you know, talking about half of the WikiLeaks that were pointing at Hillary Clinton's email uh, leaks and talking about how she was a bad person and X, Y, and Z, you know, but then when Julian Assange needed to be pardoned, Trump comes around and says, WikiLeaks, I've never heard of WikiLeaks. What's WikiLeaks before? So, I mean, yeah, he's just as dishonest in, in many ways as these other politicians. And, I already explained my position on him earlier in the, the conversation, but he's certainly not anti-war. But I think you did touch on something here, and I think it's important to point out that the study really is emphasizing that it's important to understand the broader, kind of longer-term, lesser-known consequences of war and the health of war zone populations. So, for instance, in the 1950s Korean War, uh, it's estimated five to six million people died but only 15 to 20% of that 6 million were a result of violence of, in the war. The rest was by starvation and other war-related causes. Uh, in the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, between 1999 and 2003, roughly 10% of the 3 million war deaths were due to violence. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's just... I think this is important to understand. It's not just the soldiers who are getting swept up in these these endless wars, right? And we don't really pay attention. You already mentioned Yemen. Like Yemen's like not even afterthought for most people. And in fact, when the Ukraine war kicked off, a lot of people were like, okay, so you care about Ukraine, but you haven't actually said anything about Yemen for the past three years. It was wild. It was wild to watch that go down because I was like, why won't you talk about this? And yeah. you have to know, and I'm sure you know, but people at some point got to wake up and be like, what are they distracting me from? Sure. Because why are they pointing to something right now that doesn't make any sense? It was all like, and I, and I love using this on people when they start wanting to throw Trump into prison for some kind of documents he took home with him after he left the White House. I'm like, I don't care about all that stuff. Sure. What I do care about is him being in prison for war crimes. Yes. And he needs to be sitting right alongside with Obama and Bush and Biden. Yeah. Put them all in one cell together. And they can sit there and talk about all the fun they had blowing people up, blowing up children. Yeah. But let them rot in prison together. You know, it's hard for me to say sometimes as a Christian because you don't want the state to to come in and do the same thing to you because they certainly will do that to you. Yeah. But if you're gonna if you're gonna insist on somebody being in prison for some documents. Why aren't you worried about all the, the people that they killed? It goes, it speaks exactly to how people have just been normalized to war crimes, to war, you know, and I don't think people even think twice about it. Unfortunately, it's just part of uh, our business, part of business these days for the U.S. And yeah, don't forget too, uh, Biden within the first year that he was a uh, POTUS, he uh, had a drone strike on an Afghan family, uh, killing 10 civilians and seven of them were children and there was no punishment. Uh, nobody was ever held responsible for that. They uh, basically said sorry, and they moved on. A lot of people don't even know. A lot of Biden supporters don't even know about that. Yeah, and I always find it interesting to watch the anti-war left disappear when, when one of the guys gets into office. It happens, you know, to think that Biden is some kind of <laughs> was ever going to be anti-war. He did talk about ending the, the support for the Saudis in Yemen. 
And he talked about it and talked about it. And then the second time I had Horton or Scott Horton on the show, we talked, we brought it up. And I said, it seems like he's escalating. He goes, he absolutely is escalating the support for the Saudis. Sure. So he went completely against what the, you know, and I remember when he talked about uh, ending all that stuff, I shared it on Facebook and I got a lot of friends on the left who started sharing from what I shared because they were excited about the idea of ending this stuff that they don't ever talk about anyway, yeah. but they were excited to hear that their, their guy was going to end the war or you put a stop to some of the support of killing people in Yemen. And then he reneged on it and they went silent again. And so I had to go back and point out to all of them, Hey, he did not do what he said he's doing. What are you going to do? Go vote for him next time again, because you're afraid of Donald Trump. That's not how this is supposed to work. I mean, you're supposed to vote off the principle. If there is a principle vote, make it principle. Don't vote out of fear because they got you right where they want you when you start acting that way. Absolutely, my friend. And yeah, Obama did the same thing too. You know, Obama promised to uh, end the Iraq war and then he he turned into uh, the drone king. You know, I mean, yeah, we could we could talk about his stats too. I mean, he droned everything, hospitals, weddings, funerals, uh, schools. He did not discriminate at all. No, absolutely not. I mean- just take a second to think about that. You know, funerals, weddings, schools. These are all things that you could Google and look up. And these are things and we, we say, well, they just happen to hate us because of our freedom in the Middle East. <laughs> no, that's why they hate us. And every time that we bomb a wedding or a school or a funeral, guess what we're doing? We're creating more terrorists and what the FBI has deemed blowback, you know, and they will eventually strike back. And of course, the war on terror is largely inflated and exaggerated. Of course, you know, and, and something that they created themselves. But this blowback is real. And these people, you know, like that's how we create enemies is by killing people's family members in the Middle East. I mean, I'd certainly be pissed off if they've started rolling down tanks and, and shooting at my neighbors and my family. I mean, I'd be pissed off, too. What are you what are you supposed to do about something like that? Just sit there and take it. A lot of people aren't going to sit there and take it. A lot of people are going to try and figure out a way to, to seek some revenge on you. Sure. You know, and I get it. I get it. You know, it's not, I'm not an advocate for a revolution or any kind of, uh, any kind of violent conflict, but it, but I understand the, the thought process that goes behind that. Absolutely. You know, and I've often said too, the United States government's the largest terrorist organization this world's ever seen. 100%. But it's not makes any words on that one either, you know, and I'll talk about this as long as the bad Roman project lasts. I, I will never shy away from conversations like this because if I'm not hearing it where I want to hear it, like I, I listen to Rogan podcasts all the time and he, he'll start going in a direction like he wants to talk about this stuff. And then he stops and then talks about how great a president Barack Obama was. And I'm like, did you not see where you just went? <laughs> did you, what happened to you? Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, he's had so many great guests, too. It, it surprises me that he's still. He flag he waves the flag sometimes, and yeah, still kind of shows his uh, allegiance, I guess, to the empire. Um, but uh, I did have a couple more things on the um, the seven point. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, go. so th the second half of that tweet was uh, taken from a 2021 Axios article titled "Defense Contractors Generated 7.35 Trillion Since 9/11." So that's already a couple of years old, right? Like that's not a, even an accurate number, 7.35 trillion. Uh, which is already an insane amount of money. Uh, but if you do the math, you know, 4.6, which is the amount of deaths uh, divided by 7.35 trillion, it's 1.6 million for each each person that was killed. And of course, I don't really think that's the motive, you know, for these defense contractors, but it does put it in perspective as far as like the type of money that we're talking about here. 
so yeah, these psych- psychopaths make 1.6 million on, on each person they murder. And uh, I have a hard time, you know, wrapping my head around that just because it's like so much money. But I, I did find some information that I thought was interesting about how much things have changed since 9-11. And because the war on terror has become more what they call modernized or modern warfare, uh, which means that, you know, things are, it's not traditional warfare. So we're talking about like, you know, tech, we're talking about uh, cyber warfare, we're talking about drones, we're talking about all these different things that we've never really had to pay for in the past. Um, so this is obviously like highly profitable for these defense companies. So for an example, like um, Lockheed Martin, a couple of days after 2000, 9-11, um, 2001, uh, their stocks were rising at that time to about $43 per share. Now they're $349 per share. Uh, and another example here is Lockheed Martin's defense revenue was in 2000 around 18 billion, which was um, about 20, or, excuse me, about 71% of its total revenue. Uh, by 2020, its revenue had soared to 63 billion or 96% of the company's total income. And then, which makes this even more of a, a kick in the pants is that in late May, just a couple months ago, there was a CBS 60 Minutes report titled How the Pentagon Falls Victim to Price Gouging by Military Contractors, which is ironic because, I mean, it's no secret, right? They're in bed together. Um, so basically, like these military contractors, they're just charging exorbitant amounts of money for all these different weapons and the tech and everything. So in 1991, a shoulder-fired Stinger missile cost around 25000 now Raytheon charges more than 400000 for each Stinger missile that's sent to Ukraine. And uh, there was a report that came out last week, too, that the Pentagon recently paid $52,000 for a single trash can. So, you know, these people aren't <laughs> exactly being uh, efficient with our money, I guess you could say. That makes my head hurt to even think about because just... $52,000. Yeah. I mean, just uh, that should anger everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... You know, you mentioned Lockheed. This is, I don't know if you saw this, but when we were talking about distractions a while ago, you, but you mentioned like the, the trans movement, you know, briefly when we were talking about like the younger generation and stuff. But did you see that? I think it was a, a pride parade and one of the floats was sponsored by Lockheed Martin. Yeah. Did you see this? I did. Yeah. I yeah. Like, what is going on here? Why yeah. do y'all not see what what's happening here? This is. This is all kind of this all like it. Sure, I don't I don't use the word uh, conspiracy theorist very often, but come on, this is it's incestuous. They're in, everything is in bed together right now with all of this stuff. I mean, come. On. I mean, I could I saw this. So that's got to be fake. I looked, and oh, that's not fake. There was an actual Lockheed Martin float at a pride parade. I was like, good grief, man. Yeah, I, I said this the other day during Fourth of July. I, I, I hate federal holidays when it comes to that stuff because i feel like people are not paying attention and like you're not even independent in this country anyway and so i saw i saw this post about some hot dogs and they were purple and red and white but they were like raspberry flavored and cherry flavored something i was like man i don't want to live here anymore <laughs> i don't live here anymore so my all you starting to sound pretty good to me you know i I get offered all the time from you know the boomer types to they'll help me pack my bags and i can move to somalia and i'm like I always hit them back with this. I said, but yeah, but then I, uh, 
then I'm in, uh, I might be, become a victim of American foreign policy. I'm not interested in that either. So maybe I'll just stick around here and see, keep pointing out your hypocrisy. That's a great point, Craig. And don't forget that exit fee too, that expat exit fee, $2,300 too, just to leave the country. Oh, is it only $2,300? I thought it was more than that. I did. I, we've talked about that. We have our discussion group, you know, from folks outside, you know, we have a Facebook discussion group. We'll do Zoom calls once a month to kind of keep everybody's sanity about what we believe. And sure. We talked about that the last time, you know, we, you can't leave. It's not, you can't, you're not free to leave this country. They will charge you $2,300 if you want to give up your citizenship. Land of the fee. But sometimes it almost sounds, <laughs> land of the fee. Land of the fee, home of the slave. <laughs> I like that. Is that yours or is that something that you've heard along the way? Yeah, it's been going around for a long time. And, you know, I really hate to phrase it like that, too. There's so many wonderful things about this country, you know, and I, I hate to be right. the, the Debbie Downer and the black pill. But, you know, we I as I said in the post for on Fourth of July, you know, the criticisms will continue until conditions improve, you know, and I, I think that's that's a sign of love. It's a sign of tough love, you know, and exactly. Uh, I, I don't want my kids to live in a, a nation where they don't have any freedoms. They don't have, you know, any way to spread their wings or speak their mind or any of these things, you know? So uh, that in itself is motivation enough. Right. And you, you mentioned, we talked before we started recording and your kids and I said, I don't have any children. I got some cats, but I got a niece and nephew who I adore and I want to see them grow up in a, in a free country. Yeah. Absolutely. Grow up more free than at least more free than I've lived my life. You know, and when people hear you say something like that, what do you mean you're not free in this country? I'm like, well, let me count the ways. Sure. I mean, there's I mean, I can name three things pretty quick, you know, and then we can just go down a whole list of it. But then people I got in this debate the other day, actually, and he goes, well, I guess our idea of freedom is different. I said, your idea of freedom is how much slavery you're what you're willing to take part in. Yeah. If it's if it, as long as you're comfortable, I said, I'm no longer comfortable, you know, living like this. I want to be left alone. That's all I really want. I, I don't want to become a hermit, but I want the government to leave me the hell alone. That's it. Sure. You go do your thing and leave me out of it. I'm not interested. I've opted out. Yeah, I don't want that blood on my hands either, my friend. And uh, I, I certainly share that sentiment with you. Well, hey, um, before I let you go, we'll do it again sometime. I'm sure y'all put some more stuff out there and I'll get you back on and we'll talk about it. Maybe we'll get your partner on here too. We can have a discussion between all three of us absolutely uh why don't you go ahead and plug whatever you want to plug and then i'll let you get out of here all right brother sounds good thanks again for having me on so yeah you could find any of our articles any of our information at the freethoughtproject.com uh, at the top you'll see a tab for our podcast uh, definitely check that out we've had a lot of great guests on over the past six months well over the past couple of years to be honest but specifically the past six months and uh, otherwise, you can find the Free Thought Project and Police the Police on pretty much every social media platform that exists. I think we're on like 17 or 18. Uh, and my own personal work, I've also been putting my sa- myself and my name out there uh, more, which is uh, Jason E. Bassler on Instagram or Jason Bassler one on Twitter. I'm also on Minds, MeWe, Telegram, uh, Getter. Uh, so yeah, definitely seek me out, follow me. Uh, any support donations wise uh, subscriptions is always appreciated. It's obviously a very turbulent time for independent journalists like myself. And uh, you know, I, as we've talked about in this conversation, you know, it, there's two options right now. There's mainstream media or there's independent journalism. And if we're not supporting the independent journalists, then don't be surprised when they disappear. So other than that, this is a great conversation and thanks for having me on Craig. Really enjoyed it. Me too, man. Well, like I said, we'll do it again and I will talk to you soon. 
Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about the Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. Thank you.